okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that! You don't got time to that. All right, let's go. Crank it! Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Adam Dravetta, Cole C. DeButar. Go until 6 o'clock today, and then we'll have uh, pregame coverage taken over for high school football. High school football playoffs tonight. Lawrence High on KLWN. Free State over on 92.9 The Bowl. We're going to be joined today by Brandon McAnderson. He'll join us in about 35 minutes from right now. Talk a little KU football. And then Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Talk a little KU hoops and some KU football as well with Brian. So KU takes on K-State tomorrow, 11 o'clock kickoff here on KLWN and on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Pre-game starts at 9.30. We'll have an extended pre-game show out at Mama's Tamale Shop from 8.30 to 9.30, myself and Scott Chasen. And we have uh, several pairs of KU K-State football tickets to give away to this series. I'm interested to see what the attendance looks like, but... Uh, KU sits at a 24-point underdog coming into this game, and they haven't... I mean, there's a few games in there that come to mind where they have been competitive. The one in Manhattan a few years ago where Peyton Bender just, like, drops the ball when you're driving in inside their 40-yard line with a minute and a half or so to go with an opportunity to win the game. Uh, missed opportunity there. You have the game in, in Lawrence, uh, I want to say three or five years ago, where I think you lost 31-20, and special teams played a big part. Last year, it wasn't all too close. And again, special teams played a big part. Two punt return touchdowns for Kansas State. And, you know, besides that, for the most part, it's been pretty lopsided in favor of Kansas State in recent history here. Um, so, uh, of course, it'd be easy to go back to the well of saying, based on both the history and where this team is at, you know, how, how do you just make this game competitive? But I want to get a little more into how that can specifically happen. So the first thing that I think has to happen for you to be competitive, for you to have a chance at pulling off the upset, Jason Bean has to play well. That's a given, right? Yeah, um, I, I agree. And he doesn't have to play, um, you know, out of this world. He doesn't have to play, you know, but I think he has to play as well as he did against Oklahoma. And, and I personally... And this could have had more to do with, um, you know, with with the competition. But I think personally, he played probably better against Duke and Coastal Carolina uh, than he did against OU. But it, it could just, you know, maybe he played better against OU and it was just a better competition. But anyway, yeah, he has to play better. I think a huge advantage for KU coming into this is that they showed against OU what they're going to have to do to win any games this year is shorten the clock, shorten the game. Um, you know, run some clock and, and make it a little muddy. And I guess you could argue that's an advantage or disadvantage. I would argue it's an advantage just because that's how K-State already naturally plays. So in that in that respect, they're going to help you. They're going to help do it for you. But, yeah, being playing well is, is first and foremost. He can't make the, oh, my gosh, mistakes that, that he's been prone to making. And, you know, I think Bean's legs are a huge asset to him. Uh, K-State's got on their defensive line the top uh, sacker in the 
Big 12. And I think that Bean's mobility is going to do him well to not get absolutely dominated uh, like TCU did last week against K-State. Uh, their quarterback got sacked, I believe, uh, five or six times uh, last week, and Jason Bean needs to not have that happen to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second thing that I think is important there, KU has to find room for Devin Neal on the ground to get going. You have to, and this is more so just a macro conversation about the running game in general. You have to get the running game going in this game if you're KU, and that is going to be tough because, A, we've seen KU have inconsistencies with being able to establish that running game and the run blocking and working the wide zone. And on top of that, Kansas State typically has a good run defense that's continued again this year. They're only giving up 120 rushing yards per game on the ground. K-State's biggest, uh, one thing that Chris Kleiman has really continued from the Bill Snyder era is how fundamentally sound they are. um, You know, it just, you know, they don't ask players to do too much but the things that they ask them to do, they make sure they're really, really good at. Um, the level of talent hasn't been there that it, what that was there for kind of some of the the higher years of, of uh, the Bill Snyder era. But one thing that Kleiman has continued is this tradition of just whatever you're asked, you're not going to be asked to do too much, you know, anything really beyond your ability. But what we ask you to do, you need to do exceptionally. Um, and it takes a lot of discipline to hold your gaps, particularly when you think you have an opportunity to sack the quarterback. Um, but K-State has shown a, a willingness to do that. And K-State's defensive line this year, man, they're big. They're enormous. And, and it, it really worries me about getting that rhythm for Devin Neal, you know, um, I think that running back rhythm is one of those hard is one of the hardest things to develop in a lot of games, and just one or two TFLs can really uh, throw a wrench into your whole operation, especially if they're early on KU's first drive. So I think that um, establishing the rhythm is important, but it's not going to be an easy job by any means. On that same topic, you can't have uh, an "oh here we go" moment. Oh, mm-hmm. oh here we go again. You know, Devin Neal if he starts out going. You know, rush for eight yards, rush for four yards, rush for six yards, and then a tackle for loss minus six. You can't have that, oh, here we go moment. You just kind of have to forget about it. And that's something that thus far has been difficult. They, they were able to kind of go past those things against the against OU, but the, the kind of— But even then, it, I think there was the uh, the little receiver screen, or I can't remember, was it an end around? I thought it was a screen, uh, to Stephen McBride. And yeah. he fumbles the ball when they're down at that point. Uh, it was a one-score game. OU gets the ball, and then eventually they get uh, a touchdown there to almost put it out of reach until KU went down the next drive and, and scored. But there was still an, an oh-no moment in that game, too. But I think the difference is they, they, they scored again, so mm-hmm. they kind of recovered from the oh-no moment. You, avoiding the oh-no moments is huge. That yeah. That's that's priority number one. But priority two is if you have an oh-no moment, just put it out of your mind. Say, all right, that's done. Move on. Yeah, I think the oh-no moment in the Oklahoma State game was the, at this point, KU was already down maybe 7 nothing, 10 nothing. I don't remember the exact score. They I all I know the run together, and it was a third and short. Yep. Jason Beans roll into his left across his body. And or across his normal uh, arm side, and uh, Luke Grimm's open in the flats. He has the first down. The ball's thrown behind him. Now, you could argue it's one of those 
classic arguments of, well, he's wide open. He's still got to catch the ball. He's a wide receiver. That's his job. But also the quarterback could have done a better job placing it to make it easier for him to catch it. Couldn't hold on, uh, whatever the, the fault is there. That was the oh-no moment because you didn't convert the first down. You ended up not converting a first down in that court, in that uh, first half. That was kind of your opportunity to maybe get some momentum, have the long sustaining drive offensively, and, and give your defense a rest after they had been on the field for a little bit of time. Okay, the third thing for competitiveness in this game, and this one honestly is the most important to me, you have to stop the run the other way. And when I say stop the run, that doesn't mean you have to hold Kansas State to 50, 60 rushing yards. That's not a realistic expectation. Kansas State has Deuce Vaughn, who is one of the best running backs in not just the entire conference, but the entire country. This dude's a stud. He's five foot five. He makes guys miss in the open field. He's constantly graded as one of the highest running backs on Pro Football Focus. Absolute stud at the running back spot. KU has not been good defensively this year overall. They've not been good against the run. They're giving up 250 yards rushing per game. Next worst in the Big 12 is at 205. There's a big gap between them and the ninth place team. In fact, I mentioned Kansas State. They're giving up 120 rushing yards per game, so you're giving up more than double of what Kansas State is giving up on the ground. You have to find a way to at least limit what the K-State rushing attack is doing and what Deuce Vaughn is doing. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, everybody says, you know, that a hurry-up offense can kind of make a defense tired. And Deuce, and, and even though they're, you know, you, you most people associate hurry-up offenses with and, and high-powered offenses with passing, Deuce Vaughn and is the type of back and the entire running attack for K-State is the type of running attack that can wear out a defense because even though it's not via the pass, they're still capable of knocking off 9 or 10 yards a pop, uh, particularly if, if you already come in as a team that's weak against the run. Yeah, you know, the way that teams catch a break against Deuce Vaughn in the K-State games I've watched so far this year are they managed to hit him behind the line and, you know, you you grab his ankle, you hold him down, and you can, uh, you know, take that breath, right? Get that respite. But uh, if you are letting him uh, pull off first down, first down, or just running on, uh, you know, first down, second down, and getting a first down every time, uh, you're going to be in a really, really rough situation. You need to get those uh, good hits behind the line to get yourself those precious, precious seconds of, uh, of breathing room. And I think the game a couple years ago really stands out to me. The one where it felt like hype was building. That was, I think, Les Miles' first year. You had already beaten um, Boston College at that point. You uh, were coming off, I believe. I don't remember if this is the exact week before, two weeks before. You were coming off the uh, Texas game in which Brent Deerman had just taken over as offensive coordinator uh, that week or the week before. I think he took over the week of the Boston College game. No, no, he didn't. They said they used more of his system. Stuff? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so he ended up taking over. And I remember I actually heard um, from somebody at Baker, because I, I do broadcast with Baker, and that's why I won't be on the high school call tonight, um, that they requested tape, Kansas State did, because I'm pretty sure Baker played the NAIA school that Brent Deerman was at like the year before, or maybe – Baker heard from the grapevine that one of the teams they play, it was something like that. They went as far back to get NAIA tape on Brent Deerman's offense to uh, to get like a proper vision of it and how to slow it down. And that was the game. There was all this hype about the KU offense, where they had been. They 
put up a huge offensive outburst, almost beat Texas down in Austin. They did beat Texas Tech on that stretch. Yeah, exactly. And you go into that game thinking, okay, KU's going to put up a lot of points. Uh, the fans uh, filled up the stadium. That was the most full I have ever seen Memorial Stadium since I attended KU and have since graduated. And, uh, yes, there was, you know, a lot of K-State fans there as well to help the attendance. But it was just an overall great attendance, great atmosphere. And from the get-go, it just felt like it was over. It never really felt like KU had a chance. Uh, K-State just stifled the KU offense. But more than anything, the K-State offense felt like they ran, like, five plays in the game. There was, like, (laughs) run left, run right, and play action, and then the occasional QB run. And KU could not get them off the field. They just held the ball for so long. KU couldn't do anything on offense. You were never in the game. It was a stinker of a game when it felt like progress was being made for KU as a program. So stop the run. Avoid that from happening. All right, the fourth and final thing for making a competitive game. No special teams gaffes. And this is the one maybe I'm most worried about on this list. Um, I mentioned the fact that you had the game a couple years or last year where K-State had two punt return touchdowns. The game a handful of years ago where they had either a punt return or kick return touchdown, and then they had another one that got deep into KU territory that led to points and and basically helped them seal the game. Um, avoid special teams gaffes, which is easier said than done because Kansas State is always so good on special teams. KU has been so bad at special teams uh, really uh, over the past like decade plus. Avoid major special teams blows that are going to completely change the game or put it out of reach. I don't mean this as, as a matter of semantics, but would we agree that you can have, like K-State, because they, they focus so much on special teams, would we agree that they can still have a decent day on special teams and that, would, that wouldn't that would necessarily mean that KU committed any gaffes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Then, like, yeah, then, yeah. I, then I would agree with you. you like, if, if K-State... Like, if they're just going to get theirs because they're really good on special teams, that's yeah. fine. Just don't help them. Right. If they make a, a great tackle on kick return that stops you at the 15, or if, or if they, they just have the perfect good punt coverage, yeah, or, 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 yeah, or a 50-yard field goal. Right? Or, or just, if they have a kick return that they just happen mm-hmm. to have a remarkable blocking scheme for. That's But that's where I go with it, right? Like... I don't know. I, I guess you can't give up a, a touchdown to K State on a kick return. But I yeah, and I guess it's there's there's somewhat of a chicken or egg thing there because it's like, you know, like when somebody turns the ball over, is it the offense turning the ball over? Or is it the defense taking it away? I think K State because they're so good on on special teams. I think K State can have a kick return for a touchdown without the kicking game necessarily making a major mistake. I think they just had a really good scheme, but. The thing for me is that if they have such a good scheme, why are they not getting a kick return touchdown every single game, right? So, like, at some point, there has to be a little of both, right? If if you yeah. have... Yeah, you, I mean, you could prepare for the scheme. It's not like they're going to throw yeah. anything new at you that they haven't done all year. And the thing with the kick return game and, and just the special teams game in general, there's only going to be a couple handfuls of plays throughout the game. So having even just one play go for a touchdown, that a lot of times can be the difference. I You have to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, uh, 100% with you there. You know, uh, the interesting thing about K-State, though, is that their uh, return game has been a little questionable this year. Uh, I think some of the guys have made, like, poor decisions. Uh, I think Malik Knowles thinks he's uh, Devin Hester, and it hasn't really been working out for him. Uh, So I think KU can, you know, take advantage of that, and they can get uh, really long fields for K-State if they can take advantage of that. But on the other hand, uh, Malik Knowles is still a super, super fast, super, super elusive kind of returner. And you, yeah, if you give up seven points 
uh, I would say that the chance of you losing the game goes through the roof. Yeah, just be sound on on special teams um, because you're already you know losing in so many areas. You can't afford to take a big margin there. So uh, this game, K State favored by 24. And the other part of it that's interesting to me, and this doesn't really go into the topic of, well, how is KU competitive? But I just find it very interesting about this game that, you know, as currently constructed, I just wonder how much KU can value. This is a huge game. When you think of the idea that K-State views this as such a big game and they take it so seriously and they enjoy the heck out of beating the brains out of Kansas they have over 50 players on their roster from the state of Kansas, right? So that makes sense. They have three players right from Lawrence's backyard. Echo Boy Doe, uh, Jack Stanine, and uh, Keenan Garber, who all got out of Lawrence and are playing for K-State. And over 50 kids on the team are from the state of Kansas. Kansas has 19 players from the state of Kansas. Most of those, if you go through the roster, are walk-ons or don't play much. I mean, it's three, four guys who are really part of the rotation for Kansas who are from Kansas. And so I just wonder in a game that I think you need to start taking more seriously to have more success here, how much that can even happen until the roster starts being filled with more in-state kids. I kind of view, I I compare the K-State KU rivalry to the uh, Royals St. Louis Cardinals rivalry. Um, That is to say um, it's, it takes place on I-70 and it means a lot more to the team to the West and the fan base to the West than it does the fan base to the East. K-State as a fan base takes this rivalry far more seriously than KU. Um, and, and I don't know if you have to... I don't know if you have to take it more seriously as a... to, to be more successful. I think you just have to become better to, to start, you know. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, part of that does come from, you know, finding undervalued talent and a lot of that you you can find a lot of undervalued talent here in Kansas um and and I think Chris Kleiman what he's shown is is he he saw a lot of guys that at North Dakota State where he thought all right you're probably not good enough right now but we can spend three years making you big um and then by your junior senior year you're going to be exactly what we need you to be and I think that's what you know what KU needs to start looking at, and that includes local players. Mark Mangino on a on a radio show, I can't remember exactly where it was, but he mentioned part of their recruiting success was because they found uh, overlooked athletes that were playing both ways, so they weren't quite great as a wide receiver or a cornerback because they were playing both. And so the defensive guys would be like, well, we don't know how great of a as a cornerback he is. And the offensive coaches would be like, well, we don't know how great of a wide receiver he is. And Mangino would just pull rank and say, okay, well, we can declare that he's a good enough athlete to be really good in, big, in the Big 12. And then if we can't teach him how to play the proper position, then we're not doing our jobs. And I think that's a big part of pulling guys from the state that, that are giving, getting overlooked by other schools is guys who play both ways or guys that aren't perfect yet that you can, you know, you have to view what they're going to be after two or three years in your program. And I think K-State under Bill Snyder was exquisite at that. And I think Kleiman um, has has continued that. I don't think he's good as Snyder, but uh, very few coaches are. Uh, But he's continued that. He's continued finding guys who... Uh, other people didn't view as high level because they were looking at them as an 18-year-old. 
Kleiman and his coaching staff are looking at them as what they will be when they're 21. Here, here's what I'll say. I think that guys who are my age and older, um, as KU fans, took the Missouri rivalry very, very seriously. And it was a big tragedy, I think, on that when Missouri left the conference. Uh, but I think people who are younger than me, who didn't have, a, who weren't alive for very long when Missouri left the conference, are going to, over the next you know uh, decade or two decades, going to start taking the K-State rivalry a lot more seriously. Unless because KU that, bolts for the Big Ten. Okay, unless KU bolts. Oh, yeah, let's have a rivalry with Michigan. That sounds like it's going to go well. Um, so I think that if we do stay in the Big 12, uh, for the next over the next decade or two decades, you're going to see a lot more people be invested in the K State rivalry because there is no Mizzou anymore. So uh, I think that that might be you know something that gets kids more into it. Well, and I'll be interested to see how it affects things when they restart the series with Mizzou. I forget if that's next year or the year after, but uh, I I just wonder how much that plays into the fact that K State seems to take this game a lot more seriously than KU. That you have more kids in state, and maybe it's not something that we see change till. Uh, not just KU becomes better because that obviously would make you a better team, a better chance to have an opportunity, but to take it more seriously because it's hard to convince a kid from Texas why this game would would mean so much more. And, and to be clear, I believe Lance Leipold is, uh, you know, having a bigger emphasis on in-state recruiting. We've heard that from every staff really for the past decade or whatever, but I actually do believe it's happening with Lance Leipold, whether it's getting scholarship kids, walk-on kids, and just come in and have that edge. And this is something Craig Hershiser told me the other day. Um, he came in and, and we did a segment yesterday. And uh, uh, before we went on, he said um, something that Tom Osborne did at Nebraska. He would bring in a ton of local kids from Nebraska because he didn't want it to feel like the program was just playing at Nebraska. He wanted the program to feel like it was playing for Nebraska. Uh, just on that I didn't mean to interrupt. If you had more to say, you can. Okay, no, no. Um, what I, on that topic? I think one thing that helped K State grow their recruiting base in in the state of Kansas is kids from Kansas seeing other kids at K State have big level success. That they might be from a small town or from Kansas and think, well, maybe I can't. I'm not good enough to play at that level. And they think, well, wait, this guy's from the high school down the road that we played against, and he's having a tremendous amount of success. So I put a lot of focus on Devin Neal. If Devin Neal can have a heap of success at KU, other Kansas kids are going to say, okay, it is positive. I can be a successful football player at the University three of Kansas. Three-minute stations. Three minutes. That's why uh, – sorry about that. That's why uh, it's it's going to be such a huge deal to uh, – um, I think for, for players like Devin Neal, it's not just getting for kids from Kansas. It's showing that they can be very successful. All right, he's Adam Dravetta with Cole Cedabuta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brandon McAnderson joins us in 13 minutes. Brandon McAnderson joins the show in 10 minutes. This is RCST with Adam Dravetta, Cole Cedabuta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Sunday afternoon game against the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers not in the game. We were talking a little about this game yesterday, but I'm curious now because as you look at the schedule, you have Packers this week at Las Vegas, then Dallas at home. That is a tough little three-game stretch for Kansas City. Um, and now things get a little easier for you without Aaron Rodgers. But uh, what do you think this team needs to go in the next three games to have you feeling good that they will be a playoff team? And how would you feel about those chances 
if they lose on Sunday. Who uh, who's the third? I I, I heard Dallas. Mm-hmm. Dallas uh, two and one, and I'd feel pretty bad if they if they lost. And I'm kind of worried they will because I I think they kind of took for maybe maybe I'm misreading this team, but I I'm worried that they kind of came away from that Washington game in that second half going great. We've got it figured out, and then they got popped in the mouth against Tennessee. Um, but no, I, I if you want if they go two and one, I'll take that. But I, I think that's a very important two and one, and and I'll feel, you know, I I don't need them necessarily to cover the spread. I still I think the Packers are going to rally around their backup because that's what really good teams do. Uh, but I think that um, I think they need to win. I mean, in terms of being a playoff team. Yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Jordan Love, so I wouldn't put a lot of state uh, stock into him performing well. And, yeah, it would be great if the Packers could rally around Love, but uh, they're still suffering with a lot of injuries. So I feel pretty comfortable about the Chiefs' chances to take on the Packers. Um, With the loss of Gruden and Ruggs, I feel pretty comfortable about us uh, beating the Raiders. But the the Cowboys are tough, man. They're like a top offense in the league uh, with Dak. I I don't know if he's going to be back for that game or not. But um, even without Dak, that's still some cr- a crazy receiving core. And we, I think over the, la- over the next two games, we'll still realize that we have a bad defense. So I would, I, if I had to like peg odds, I would almost say, I don't know, K- that the Chiefs have, I almost called them KU, uh, maybe like a 60-40 chance of winning this week. And then I'd say probably coin flip in Las Vegas. And I'd probably go like 60-40 for Dallas in that game. So... I would say if you go, like if you go zero three, you're not a playoff team, right? Um, if you go three and zero, we're going to be talking about how this team's back to being like a legit contender. Yeah, they're, se- they're seven and yeah. four, and they're hot at that point. And they've yeah. beaten some good teams. Um, if they go two and one, I'm with you. If they go two and one, I'll be thinking, okay, I think they're going to make a run to the playoffs. And if they go one and two, I'm going to be sitting there saying, okay, it's just more wait and see. It's more wait and see till you can beat good teams. It's more wait and see to see if you can just get hot and, and keep delaying the inevitable to keep waiting on them to get hot, even though they never do. Now, if you win this game, you would think you should be able to at least split those next two. So that is big. But I, I'm still not sold on the fact that this is an automatic win. I'm picking the Chiefs to win. We'll get into our game picks with the spread coming up in like an hour. Um but I think this is far from a give-me-win, knowing that you struggled so much with the Giants. The Giants have a worse team than the Packers. Even if Jordan Love's not very good, how much worse would he be than Daniel Jones? And again, the rest of the team is better than the Giants were. So uh, I'm still kind of shaky on how this one goes, but certainly it's a great opportunity, and it's a very big failed opportunity if you lose because to that point of what you would need to go in these next three games, we both agree that if you go two and one, you're going to feel like a playoff team. If you lose this one, that means you have to win the next two. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's something to be said that they'd be more motivated if they were playing Aaron Rodgers? There probably is something there, but the issue for me is that if you're the Chiefs and you're sitting there at four and four and you're struggling to get motivated to get back above 500. Then something's wrong anyway. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point actually. Um I would actually I'm a little maybe a little more pessimistic. I think if we go 1 and 2, I've fully written off this okay. season. Like I think 1 and 2 is really bad, especially if one of the losses is to the Raiders. 
If one of the losses is to the Raiders, Raiders are five and two. No, 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 no. But that means that there's like no chance of ever pulling out the division, and then you're just fighting well, tooth and nail for the wild card, right? Uh, I'm kind of viewing it as they already are. Okay, okay. I guess it is. I mean, yeah. I guess if and, you if you sweep really the Raiders, difficult. beat the Chargers, division's still in play. But I'm, I guess I'm I'm lowering my expectations. So so I think one and two is really bad uh especially if it's like a really bad loss to dallas and then uh, a bad loss to the raiders because listen no one's really going to give us credit for this win if we win uh on sunday because they didn't have aaron Rodgers and they have a bunch of other injuries right so no one's really going to give the chiefs credit uh near the end of the season for this win all, all that's going to matter is how we perform against teams that have players. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about just can they get the win. That's the big thing. All right, with Adam Dravetta, Cole Cedabutar, I'm Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson talks KU football with us next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. This weather update is brought to you by your York dealer, Dunco Heating and Cooling. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. That time on a Friday, talking with Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk uh, running back for the Orange Bowl team, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So, BMAC, first things first before I guess we move on to this week with KUK State. Last week, not exactly what KU was hoping for to build off the momentum you had from the Oklahoma game. Uh, so what caused things to go so south in that game against Oklahoma State, and what specifically has to pick up this week to avoid happening again? Well, they got to move the chains, and they got to stay in the game early. You know, you heard Jason Bean in his press conference talk about how he fast starts are, like, vital to him. Like, he did not beat around the bush. He said, I really need to have good starts because I think it just helps his confidence. And furthermore, I think it just helps them – feel better about their place in the game. You know, when you're down quite a bit of points where you really haven't got a crack at it, I think it was Oklahoma State. I think they were, what, less than 20 plays in by the time it was 17-0. to zero. And it's because they couldn't get first downs, they couldn't build a rhythm. And because they couldn't build a rhythm, they couldn't keep defense off the field. Because the defense couldn't get off the field, they, would be, they were just worn out by the pace. And Oklahoma State was playing so fast. You know, and lining up and executing everything they wanted. You know, KU didn't have their top two corners. Um, so those guys were out. They had Dabney out there fighting his butt off. But there was a lot of disadvantages they were at before the game started, regardless of injuries. And then when you throw in the injuries, and, you know, Oklahoma State, you go down the depth chart, senior, 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 senior. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, everyone on their team has been in the program for four or five years. And you could see that, that through film study and through their maturity, they were just overwhelmed KU and what they wanted to do. So I think it was a, it was a multitude of things. But Kansas needs to play perfect football. They've not they've not been shy about mentioning that. And obviously, the Oklahoma State game wasn't close enough to perfect to keep them in it. One of the things that I've found so interesting about this game with KUK State is 
You know, it feels like every year, and I don't say this disrespectfully because sometimes it can come across that way, like uh, Kansas State plays this like their Super Bowl. And the reason I say that in a good way is because I think sometimes that's how college rivalries should be played. And I think that does kind of lead to an emotional or, or type of edge. I know Bill Snyder used to put so much into it, and we know that Kansas State has owned this series of late. Now, uh, we heard the coaching staff this year, kind of this week, uh, talk about this. And for Lance Leipold, like I, I understood what he was saying. He was saying, you know, we're not going to put too much value in one game over another because that doesn't teach the right process type of thing. And um, I thought it was also interesting hearing from the coaches in regards to, I think this was talked with like Andy Kotelnicki, the fact that, you know, when they were at Buffalo, they didn't really have like that in-state rival or that team that, you know, every year you kind of viewed in that way. So I guess I'm curious, um, from when you were were playing and your teams with Mangino, like, like did he put any extra emphasis on this specific game with Kansas State? Well, that was complicated because by the Missouri rivalry. Because I always say that Missouri thing was, like, real. Like, that, I don't look back on that fondly in any way. <laughs> not the wins, <laughs> not the losses. It was very personal. And, um... That was the separation between the two of them. I think what was personal about the K-State rivalry is that Coach Mangino had been there. And, you know, the the week that we played them the first time in 2004, he played We're Not Gonna Take It over the, uh, over the stadium loudspeaker when we practiced at the stadium. He played it every day through the whole week of practice. We're not going to take it. Um, and it kind of like set the tone for it's time to end this thing. Cause I think it was 11 years at that time as well. And, um, we went out there and got the job done and won at home 31, 28. So, I mean, it's something that we put emphasis on, but we had a true hated rival that, you know, you, we didn't need any motivation for that. We didn't even talk about it. It was personal. The K-State is a little bit different, but cause man, you know, did a good job of, making it fun and really saying like, Hey, we need to change this. We need to do something about it. And we did. Mm -hmm. Um, How much do you think this game matters to the guys who are out of state? Because if you're just looking at like the roster, you know, KU has 19 players from the state of Kansas. And I know that's something that, you know, the coaching staff has talked about that they want to recruit in state and um, certainly rise those numbers. But you look at Kansas State, they have over 50 guys from the state of Kansas right now. And if you look through the 19 on Kansas, not all of them are playing big roles right now. Some are walk ons. So uh, how much do you think this game matters to the guys who are out of state for them? Is it just kind of another game? I think it is, and that's mostly not – that has nothing to do with how they feel about K-State or how they feel about football. It's just that a lot of our people are from somewhere else. So they've either played in another college or played in another junior college. I was looking at this, and I mentioned this on a podcast I was on earlier this week. Kansas only has six contributing players that have even been with the program from start to finish. have never played for anybody else and are in their third year or later. Only six. If you look at that same, if you look at that same ratio and you flip over to Kansas State, they have 15 starters that have only played for Kansas State and that are in their third year or later of their career. So we are a transient population of a football program and we're an inexperienced football program. So for them to have an understanding of the rivalry, it'd be really difficult because they've not really been in any of the games and they've not really been here that long. 
So it's, you know, other than a couple guys, you know, guys like Lassiter, Sam Bird, <clears throat> those type of guys, Sam Bird being a Kansas guy, being here for so long, uh, you know, he's been banged up and injured and out. But, I mean, he's the one guy I can think of. It's just not a group that, you, that has had a lot of experience with Kansas State. And I don't think when you come, if you don't come from here, it's hard to see yourself as comparable because, you know, K-State is so specific in what they do and so good at executing it. But it's not something that would draw the eyes of a person that had no interest in Kansas football, you know, in, in terms of football in the area. So I think that's what makes them unique amongst other things. But I think it's hard to build that rivalry when you just don't have people that have been here very long. As far as what Kansas State does well, um, what have you seen from them in preparation for broadcasting the game that, that makes them tough on, on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, it's the same recipe every year. <laughs> Seemingly, it doesn't matter who the players are, who the coaches are. It's the same general recipe. They want to get in, on offense. They want to get a hat on a hat and then let the, let the uh, star do the work. So this year, the stars do spawn, obviously. The guy's a great, great young player. But, I mean, it's not really that different than what they did with Colin Klein. You know, get a hat on a hat, let him choose, and then he gets to, you know, pick a hole, break a tackle, now he's out of there, or he's got 180 yards by the end of the game. Kind of the same concept, except Kansas State will throw the ball to Deuce Vaughn, they'll hand it to him, they'll get as many people loaded up as they can, fullbacks, tight ends, hand the ball, and then they can do a little bit outside, but obviously they're not really efficient in the passing game. But when you do, when you run the ball as well as they do, you don't really have to be. And a strong offensive line on defense, they're just always aggressive. So even if, you know, they get beat down one game, they don't change who they are. They're always aggressive outside, so they take away your easy stuff. And then they're always bringing pressure and, and making what you want to do very difficult. And that's what they did last year against Kansas. They wanted to make sure that, you know, obviously a much different team. They wanted to make sure Kansas couldn't run the ball. So their safeties were just up in the box, standing there blitzing. So I imagine you'd see some of that um, on Saturday as well. They're just very predictable, and on offense what they do is they just make you do your job. And if you don't, they'll they'll break a crease and they'll be out of there. If you do, you know, it'll be a 14-12 to game. You know, and they've won games like that, or they've won games like they did against TCU where their defense is so good they pulled away. So it's always a veteran group. Always aggressive on defense. On offense, they always force you to do your job, and then they always have a couple really good players. This year it's uh, the defensive end from Lee Summit, um, Uzama, and Deuce Fano. So those are their two dudes, and everybody else is doing their job, and that's what makes them tough. What has caused Kansas State to be so much better than KU on special teams, not just in general over the last you know decade or so, but – in these games specifically, like you think back last year, you have the two punt return touchdowns. Um, I think back to a game, I don't know, four or five years ago in Lawrence where uh, I, I think there was like a kick return or a punt return touchdown, another one that almost went for a touchdown, and that was the difference in K-State winning, I think, 31-20 to 20 or something like that. Uh, what has caused Kansas State to have such a, a better time with special teams over these uh, past matchups? Credit to them for being very good at it. I know a Justin points at it. I saw some stat where they've been number one over the last 15 or so years. So it's obviously a principle that they preach, but it's a principle all good teams preached. You know, when I was on, when we were Kansas and we were winning games, uh, we were always top 10 in special teams units, kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. It was something that we focused on. It was something that all starters did. It wasn't a backup, you know, young player thing. It was, this is an important snap. 
and this matters, and that was a culture that we taught. Kansas State obviously teaches that, but I think their ability to take advantage has been more about Kansas's ineptitude than just simply Kansas State's brilliance because they do win the kicking game against good teams also. But when you're when you're playing against the team, I know that K-State at KU game you mentioned where we couldn't punt the ball at all. I mean, they either blocked it or returned it for a touchdown. Last year, we couldn't punt the ball at all. We couldn't get the guy on the ground. We couldn't get a directional kick. I mean, it was just a disaster. It was literally a disaster. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying they're not good at it, but I think a lot of it has been uh, Kansas's inability to teach it and, and place importance on it. And you can see that Coach Leipold and his staff have obviously started to make uh, inroads in heading towards being a better special team shooting. If you look at them, they don't have a lot of penalties, um, you know, high in forced fumbles, low in their own turnovers. So they've, you know, over the last couple of weeks, that's not been the case uh, because of a couple of interceptions. But they're still a low turnover team, low penalty team. That's the kind of mentality that trickles over into special teams. That's what K-State does well. That's what Kansas aspires to be. Is it as simple in a game like this of just being like just punted out of bounds every time? <laughs> You're, you're talking to the wrong person on that because, because one, I love special teams. Two, I love doing it. I love competing at it. And if I'm going into a game, I'm not putting the ball out of bounds. I'm putting the ball right to them. And we're going to run down there and make the play. You know, and, and that's like a pride thing or whatever, or an ego thing, but that's a football thing. It's part of the game. It's a big play. It's the one play where you're guaranteed – I hate to say guaranteed, but you're more than likely able to get a 40-yard play, a 40-yard switch in field position. It's an important play for a team like Kansas. They need to be able to punt the ball, go down and cover and make a tackle. In recent weeks, they've been pretty good at it. I thought Quentin Skinner, uh, walk-on from uh, Oklahoma, he had a really strong game as a gunner and made some nice plays in that game. So they've got some, they've shown some life. And I think they, uh, if, if I'm Kansas, I'm not shying away from any of it. I'm punting it, I'm going to tackle it. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On to this week's game picks. BMAC, you are 43-41 and 41 on the year, 24-21 and 21 in college football. First up, number 9, Wake Forest, having kind of a 07-08 Kansas-type season. They're playing at North Carolina, minus 2.5. Ooh, I like North Carolina, but for no reason. I haven't really seen either team play. Number 3, Michigan State is giving up 3 points. They're playing at Purdue. Mm. I like Michigan State. They've been able to problem solve pretty well this year. Number 11, Oklahoma State is giving up three and a half points. They are at West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia is a Jekyll and Hyde team, but I, I like I like Oklahoma State. I like what they're doing uh, defensively, and I think their offense kind of breathed a sigh of relief after playing Kansas last week. Top 15 showdown, number 13, Auburn at number 14, Texas A&M. Aggies giving up four and a half. Mm. I'll go with the Aggies. Number 17, Mississippi State, is at Arkansas. The Razorbacks are giving up four and a half. I'll go with Arkansas. All right, on to the NFL, where you are 19 and 20 on the year. Cleveland is taking on Cincinnati. No Odell Beckham for the Browns anymore. The Bengals are favored by two and a half. I like the Bengals. Would you want the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, your Las Vegas Raiders, to sign Odell Beckham? Absolutely. Me and my brother already exchanged 17 text messages this morning. <laughs> I've already looked up competing salaries, but he'd be a perfect <laughs> fit after the tragedy with Henry Ruggs. And, um, you know, there's a good offensive thing going on for the Raiders, and I think he's still a talented player. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I think sometimes we get overblown with, the, oh, no, but what is this guy going to do to the locker room? Like, uh, I, I don't know. All that happens is he comes to a new team, he's a Pro Bowl receiver, and then that's not talked about anymore, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, Denver is at Dallas. The Cowboys are giving up 10 points. I like Dallas. Arizona is at San Francisco. The uh, 49ers are giving up two. I like the Cardinals. Green Bay is at Kansas City. No Aaron Rodgers. Chiefs are giving up seven and a half. I don't think they'll cover seven and a half because I don't think the Chiefs are very good right now. But what I would like is that Jordan Love ends up being so good that we just never have to do this Aaron Rodgers-Green Bay thing again. I mean, I am ready for this to be over. Like, it goes play for someone else. All this has been annoying to me. I'm done with it. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I'm i a little worried that Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded to the Broncos, and then, I mean, both of us are going to have to deal with him in the same division as the teams we root for. Well, let me tell you this. The Broncos are primed to mess up any situation, anytime, anywhere. <laughs> I mean, they they really had gotten lucky with the with the one you know Peyton Manning import year under, under John Elway. I have no faith in their ability to build a good team. All right, Tennessee at the Rams. This is Sunday night football. No Derrick Henry now. Uh, L.A. is giving up seven points. I like L.A. How, how much do you think uh, not having Derrick Henry, you know, I feel like we've gone, just like the NFL community has gone so far sideways on, well, how much do running backs matter? But I've thought that Derrick Henry is like, I don't know, maybe the exception to the rule is is the wrong way of putting it, but like he is so above and beyond what, I think the next most valuable running back is right now. Um, like, how much do you think this affects how good the Titans can be? Long term, I think it's going to affect them quite a bit. But I also think that they'll be feisty in this Rams game because Vrabel is so out of the box with his thinking and coaching that I think he'll have them prepared um, to compete in this game without without Derrick Henry, but long-term, I don't see it. They've just been so unique of a team. You know, they're the one team in the league that's down 14 that will run themselves back into the game using Derrick Henry, and that's because of how special he is um, and how how much he fits to the talent around him. The team is built around his skill set. So I think that that, in the long term, is going to cost them. I think in the short term, they have enough talent to win a few games. But strategically, they just depend on it so much. I can't see them going without it and still being an upper echelon AFC team. All right, that is Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk running back of the Orange Bowl team. You can hear him tomorrow on pregame coverage as well as in the game for KUK State. Pregame starts at 9.30 on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with kickoff at 11 o'clock. BMAC, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson joining us as he does every Friday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. With Adam Dravetta, Colsey Butar. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Don't forget, by the way, tomorrow, going to be out at Mama's Tamale Shop with Scott Chase in 830 to 930. We'll have KUK State tickets to give away, and you can swing by, get some of their awesome breakfast tacos or other breakfast foods. That's at Mama's Tamale Shop, your perfect spot to be before every KU football home game because it's right over on 9th Street, walking distance to the stadium. This is RCST. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Colsey Butar, Adam Dravet. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour, we'll be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. We've also got to get to our game picks coming up 
at uh, 440 here. Uh, so we're going to start up a new segment today, and it's going to happen every Friday with Cole. Uh, loves the NBA. So I, I figured we'd do a little NBA segment every Friday with Cole called Cole's Big Three. So, Cole, what is your first, I guess, story headline uh, from what's gone on recently in the NBA? All right. First, 97.8. That's the Golden State Warriors' defensive rating. It leads the league. It's better than the Miami Heat's. The Golden State Warriors are 6-1. and one. But on the other hand, they've had the second easiest schedule in the league up to this point. So how do you feel about their odds in the West? Mm, I would say very good. I mean, Klay Thompson is still out right now despite them doing that. So for everything that you're going to get back by the schedule getting tougher, or you're going to lose, I guess, you're going to get back by having Klay Thompson back in the lineup. Um, I also... I don't know. It's hard for me to judge the strength of schedule thing this early in the season because, like, for instance, like Denver, I think, is two and four, you know, so that's going to make it look like if you had them on the schedule, which the Warriors haven't yet, um, that's going to make it look like, oh, well, you played a bad team just based on the win loss record, but I don't think we view them as a bad team. Um, so I think, are they the best defense? Maybe not. That probably won't last. Um, but if they end up being a top, five even top seven defense and then they get clay thompson back and you're running on all cylinders offensively with steph curry and company yes i think they're a legit title threat because of the fact that not only have they done it before not only do they have star players now they have depth too with the latest offseason moves and draft picks that they had um but it's wide open in the nba right now I, maybe not wide open but there's certainly i would say more teams that i think can win a title this year than maybe in quite some time Steph Curry was peeling off some MVP-type numbers before. Um, I Well, I guess I mean, he might still be. His last game, he kind of, uh, what was that, two days ago, it looks like he got 15 points against Charlotte. Um, but before that, um, well, okay, I, I guess it goes back to October 28th was his last really outstanding performance. But I think Klay Thompson returning uh, will add more. The, their defense, I think, will, will, it may not stay at the, crazy level it's currently at but I still think they'll be really good defensively Clay Thompson will make them better offensively just by his presence on top of that by making Steph Curry even better um and then on top of that you know the Lakers are like a thousand years old so I I don't you know and, and I'm not saying any any team that you want to put up as one of the best in the West none of them are out of it I'm not saying that Clay Thompson returns and all of a sudden the Warriors are favorites but you can't take them. They're in the conversation, absolutely. One last fun fact about this one. If somehow the Warriors managed to maintain a 97.8 defensive rating for the rest of the year, mm -hmm. they would surpass the 2004 Detroit Pistons for the best defensive rating in a really? season. Larry Brown? So uh, that Wait, is so how far back does defensive net rating go? So defensive rating is based on like per 100 possessions. Yeah. Uh, so, so conceivably you forever, can go right? back. Yeah, you can go back. That's they probably crazy. only started keeping it recently. Yeah. But you could go back and and, and, calculate and find it. it from there. Yeah. I, I just would have thought that there would have been a team in like the fifties or sixties. Like I, I get it. It's per hundred. Because offenses were yeah. But yeah, just off and you're not gonna have a three point line to boost up efficiency. So that is wild that that would be the best one. All well, right. I don't know if he said this is the best ever, but it would be. Are they the best ever? Or yeah, this, they would oh, be the best ever. The best ever currently is the 04 is the, Pistons. Wow. So yeah, that is yeah. crazy. That is mm -hmm. a team in this in this century. Uh, of course, you know, only through seven games. Uh, Memphis is 5-3, and three, tied for third in the East, and John Morant is the big, big story there. 
Memphis John. is also a really good song by the band mm. Kitten. <laughs> and it has good you barbecue, You pulled that joke like three times, I swear to God. Kitten. Um, John Morant is leading the league in points in the paint. He is, he is tied with Anthony Davis for first. That is a crazy number. There's some more crazy numbers. Wait, from he, how? I don't he's know, like man. He's 6'2", six six two two and he's a string bean. <laughs> how is that possible? He's uh, points, assists, rebounds, 27 points, 7.5 assists, 5.5 rebounds, shooting slashes of 52% from the field, 37% from three, 75% from the free throw line. How do you feel about Ja? I uh, think he's been fantastic. I mean, you read off the stats. Those are, like, if, if your team is really good, those are MVP-level stats. Um, I don't know that the Grizzlies will be good enough for him to win MVP. Uh, five and three, good start. And a team that I wondered if they would even make the playoffs again this year. They made it last year. They got into the play-in game, and then they uh, had a couple nice, uh, or, or they upset um, the Warriors, I guess, in the winner get the eight seed game, and then they ended up... Uh, upsetting the Jazz in the first game, and then they just got kind of blown out of the water from there. But I wondered how they would um, kind of respond to no longer have Jonas Valanciunas, who has been a really like productive NBA center down low, and they've just been really good. John Moran has been fantastic so far this season. What I find very interesting is the idea of where do we put this with, like, the draft a couple years ago, Zion Williamson has obviously been still really good, but Zion Williamson now, we're starting to get like the overweight stuff. We're starting to get the injury stuff. If you went back into that draft, would you take John Morant over Zion Williamson right now? The uh, the the biggest arguments in favor, a lot of people, and I kind of agreed with this, So I, I um, the, but one of the biggest arguments in favor of taking Zion a couple years ago was that John Morant was probably the most NBA-ready of that draft then. But in the long run, Zion was going to be bet- better because he could drop his weight, he could lean out, and he could become the better player. The two things that that didn't account for was, one, um, you have to count on Zion actually losing his weight. And I want to be clear, we're talking about overweight by NBA standards. Like, we're not talking about overweight by person-to-person standards. We're talking about the extra weight on your shins and on your knees and on your feet playing 65 to 70 games, 35 minutes a game over the course of an NBA season. It wears on you. Um, and then also, it wasn't taking into account that John Morant could have, you know, was going to improve. So it was, you know, John Morant was viewed as probably the most NBA ready, but just in, in a couple years, Zion was just going to surpass him. But that didn't take into consideration the fact that John Morant could have have steadily improved, which he has. Um, I, he's just, and he's so fun to watch, man. He's like. You know, I know Kevin Durant is a personality. People are kind of like, you know, he's here or there. But just as a guy to watch, I felt LeBron was so much better than Durant for the longest time. But I felt Durant was so much more fun to watch because he was built so oddly. And I feel that exact same way about John Morant. He's built so strangely, 
and it makes him so fun to watch. They're both guys that I'm like worried at any moment are going to get hurt. With Zion, it's more of like the long wear and tear of attrition of a dude that size being that explosive. Whereas and like John Morant's legs are like that yes, straw in exactly. Your cup. And he's so fearless. He drives into the lane. It feels like he's going to be snapped in half. He drives angry like Russell Robinson, <laughs> yeah. but he's not as thick. I mean, Robbins, Russell Robinson or Russell Westbrook. Westbrook yeah. I mean, Russell Westbrook is so mm-hmm. muscly. Let me tell you, if you were wondering, uh, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Derek, you know, oh, how does he score so many points in the paint? If I had to guess, by the end of the season, we're going to have a uh, you know, 10- or 12-minute-long highlight reel of John Morant doing 360 layups right under the basket because that feels like how he's scoring uh, about half his points. Wait, so where would you go? Would you take... If oh, yeah. Redo oh, the yeah. Draft, redraft, you take you're taking Jaw. Easily. You're taking Jaw easily. Well, Especially think, if you're the Pelicans. There's something there as well, too, the, the fact that Zion already wants out for New Orleans, <laughs> so like you're just going into it. Jaws content in Memphis. Exactly. Memphis and New Orleans are super similar markets. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe that's another conversation about Zion and you know NBA stars wanting out, but I don't think we've ever seen it. This or or early. guys assuming that they're NBA stars before they actually yes. become an NBA <laughs> but that's star. The thing, like we've never seen it this early. We saw like with Anthony Davis. It was I, I don't know. He, he took the time to establish yeah, he himself. He already signed his his like first extension, right? And like this is year three. He is still on a rookie contract. Like chill for a little bit. See what they can do around you, man. New Orleans can't be that bad. Uh, all right, number three, Miles Turner for the second time uh, in a row and the third time in four years is leading the league in blocks. He's got uh, averaging two point nine blocks per game right now. Is this finally the year where he can move out of Gobert's shadow as a defensive player of the year? Or is the fact that Indianapolis has a bottom five defense going to just completely shatter those hopes? I don't know if it'll shatter them, but I do think he's facing an uphill battle with Gobert. It's it's not just that Rudy Gobert is such a good defender. It is that the Utah Jazz are a really good basketball team. The Utah Jazz are going to make the playoffs and certainly a team that puts up a lot of wins in the regular season. You would imagine, like, I, I don't think the Jazz are the best team in the West, but it's, it wouldn't be surprising if they were the one seed in the West because of how, how kind of it went last year. They get the one seed and then they lose in the second round. Like, that would be a similar path I would expect this year. So Rudy Gobert is going to have the benefit of that. With the Pacers, you don't know if they are going to be a playoff team. They're still adjusting to Rick Carlisle, the new head coach, who I do think was a really good hire for them. Um, if their defense does end up bottom five, it probably does get rid of that chance. And the problem for him is it's not just defensive player of the year. It's like, can you at least make like a, a first-team All-NBA defensive team? And I, I don't know. Some guys vote just based on like the five best. Some vote based on like positionality, but they'll stretch it and be like, okay, we can just have two big men. And then some guys will vote purely on position to where it's like, no, I'm just only having one center. And for those people, they're going to have Rudy Gobert probably in ahead of Miles Turner. But you're talking about the guy who led the NBA in blocks last year. Um, When you look at the on-off splits of you field goal percentage allowed or field goal percentage at the rim with Miles Turner on there, it significantly goes down for teams playing them. The other part of it for Miles Turner is that like Rudy Gobert is the clear top center on the Jazz depth chart in the Jazz rotation in the Jazz roster. Uh, Miles Turner has to split time with Domitas Sabonis. You lose some minutes in there to uh, Batadze or however you pronounce it as well. Um, I think that's going to hurt him and keep him from winning it at the end of the day, but he definitely deserves recognition. You know, a fun fact that just relates back to mm-hmm. the 
one about Ja, uh, Sabonis is actually the second uh, highest in points in the paint in the NBA. So Sabonis mm. is having a great year, which is prop, which is cutting into Turner's time on the floor, definitely. Just as we all expected, Ja Morant and Demontis Sabonis, the two best paint scorers <laughs> in the NBA. I could see uh, I could see Miles Turner having an opportunity to win that to win Defensive Player of the Year if the Pacers were a, an okay team but a better defensive team. Like I could see him getting that getting the award. If they went forty and forty-two, but were a top fifteen defense, but the fact that they're as a whole, not to any fault of of Miles Turner, but um, but the fact that as a whole, they're they're not just a, a bad team; they're a particularly bad defensive team. I think that takes them out of the running. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate because I feel like maybe some box score watchers uh, here in, you know, 10, 15 years might look at Miles Turner and go, man, how did he never win one, right? That's, sometimes I do that. I go, man, how did this guy Oh, Russell averaging... Westbrook in 50 years, we're going to look back at him like he was the second coming of Oscar Robertson. Because uh, he is, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of triple-doubles. Yeah. A lot of triple-doubles. All right, that's Cole Cedabutar, Adam Dravetta. Fun first segment with Cole's Big Three here on a Friday on RCST. This is FM 1017. 1320 KLWN, depend on it. Kitten. RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com with Cole Butar, Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining the show at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. High school football on the airwaves tonight. KLWN with Lawrence High, 92.9 The Bull with Free State. Tomorrow, live pregame show out at Mama's Tamale Shop. I'll be there with Scott Chase and bright and early, 8.30 to 9.30. They'll have breakfast tacos, breakfast empanadas, apple pie empanadas. I'm already looking forward to that one again. I had that a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. It was very delicious. And uh, we're going to have KUK steak tickets to give away. We've got a couple pairs. So all you have to do is come by, buy something to Mama's Tamale Shop. They're going to open at 9 for breakfast, and we'll get you some free KUK steak tickets if you get there and do so early enough. All right, so let's get on to this week's Game Picks. Adam, you are 30 and 19 on the year. I am 50 and 34. BMAC, who gave his earlier 43 and 41. Cole, you are 35 and 34. Above 500. There we go, baby. All right, first up, Adam, you are 15 and 10 college football. Number nine, Wake Forest at North Carolina. The Tar Heels, despite being unranked, are giving up two and a half points. Um,. I don't know. I can't. I still can't decide if Wake Forest is for real or not. Um, I, I just. I'll, I'll lead North Carolina. I, they win it by a field goal or so. Cole, you are fourteen and twenty-one in college football. This is the area you've gotten it going in the NFL. This is the area that you need to pick it up in. We yeah, uh, so I think the way I pick it up is to just copy all of Adam's <laughs> answers. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Wake Forest. I don't think that their uh, results really scream to me like 15th ranked team. Uh, and if the betting odds say that North Carolina is the favorite here, I think I am going to go North Carolina. So this is one that I'm I'm very afraid of because it feels like a Vegas knows something line, right? You have a top 10 team in the country playing a, a team who's 4-4. Four and four. North Carolina has still has Sam Howell, but they lost so many weapons. They've been so inconsistent. They've struggled defensively this year. I think this is less of a Vegas knows something line. I think it's more of a why North Carolina would be favored because people don't trust Wake Forest yet. And people still believe the fact that North Carolina has a first-round quarterback to pull an upset. I kind of view this as like a Kansas in 07-08. When they played at Oklahoma State, 
And college, yeah, it was college, our, game, college game. No, I don't think college game. Day, it, was like the, it was the ABC yeah, was game the ABC of the week, though, with Brent Musburger and everything. So I, I obviously, I was like 12, 13 at the time. I was not paying attention to Vegas odds, nor would I remember what the line of a game was. I got broken up ago. with the day before that ah. game, and I was so just that game helped me get through oh, that good. so okay. much. <laughs> I was so happy so after time, that game. Next time we have Todd like, Reesing I don't care on. about her anymore. Next time, yeah. we have, next time we have Todd Reesing on, we'll uh, have him go into the deep psychology with you there on that breakup. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is like that. It's like, I don't know. I feel like Oklahoma State might have been favored or that might have been a shorter line than you would have expected. And that's how, how I kind of feel with this. Like, the, the respect doesn't come yet. Wake Forest is a really good offense. They just haven't really played anybody great. Uh, Virginia is a solid team at 6-3, and three and they beat them. I'll take Wake Forest. I'm uh, actually a believer in the Demon Deacons. Number three, Michigan State is giving up three points. They're at Purdue. Um, They're giving up three. Michigan State's only giving up three? Correct. Um, I don't know. I I guess. Wow. Um, I thought it was really strange. I mean, they they were getting smoked uh, when they when they really started coming back against Michigan. And give them credit for coming back. But I don't know. Give me give me Purdue. Uh, to me, a win's a win's a win. You know, so they looked really great in that second half, uh, fourth quarter against Michigan. So yeah, no, I think I'm going Michigan State here. Kenneth Walker been, may, I don't know, maybe he's the Heisman front runner at this point. He was already having a great year. He was already being talked about in that way. And then you have five touchdowns in the comeback. Uh, he's been absolutely phenomenal. And how funny is it that the guy who might be the Heisman front runner right now, the leader of the Michigan State team, transferred from Wake Forest. Just imagine if he would have stayed with with the Demon Deacons. Uh, I'm going to go with Purdue here. Purdue already beat one number two team this year. That was Iowa. Here's a top three team in Michigan State playing in Purdue. Boilermakers are five and three. They've got a solid squad. I don't think Michigan State is actually like, this is the difference between deserving and who is the best team. If you're doing deserving, which I think how the ranking should be, based on what you accomplished, sure, Michigan State should be a top five team. But if I'm picking games, if I'm trying to predict games, then I'm going to go off how good I think you actually are. I don't think Michigan State actually is a top five team. Like, if Michigan and Michigan State played 10 times, I'm probably taking Michigan more than I'm taking Michigan State. Um, I'm going to take Purdue for another big upset this year. I kind of think they're that big upset team um, this season. Okay, I asked BMAC to pick number 11 Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Uh, it's because I can't ask him to as a member employed by the university to pick the KU game. So we're going to pick the KU game instead. Kansas State is giving up 24 points. They're at KU. Who do you got? Wildcats. Um, I think it'll be, um, I may have even said this on the air, I, I think it'll be like a 42-7 to 7 type game. Um, so, yeah, give me, even if it's like 35-7, they still cover there. So, yeah, give me, give me K-State minus the points. Yeah, I'm also going K-State there. Nothing to add? Um, I, I no, you think, don't have to. I'm well, okay. Well, let me just time. throw this out here. I think that uh, there's no way that KU is going to stop Deuce Vaughn. I think he's going to end up with if if I could make a separate prop mm-hmm. bet on Deuce Vaughn over a hundred yards. I wonder what rushing that number over hundred yards just rushing. What if I give you? What if it was one fifty hypothetically? Yeah, I'd take it. Two hundred. Yeah. Three million. Well, <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll I'll leave it short and sweet. K State. Yeah. Number 13, Auburn at number 14, Texas A&M. Aggies are giving up four and a half. Oh, give me Auburn. I don't think Jimbo mm. Fisher's that good. I think this may turn out to be his best year at Texas A&M, but uh, no, I, I'll Last take Last year was pretty good. If, if, the, if Auburn's getting points, I'll take Auburn because okay. I think they're going to win. Oh, man. What was the line? Four and a half for A&M. 
I don't know. I, I like AM, but I've also thought that Auburn maybe overperformed a couple times this season when I was down on them. So it's hard for me to constantly uh, pick against a team that has show- proved me wrong. So I think I'm going to go Auburn, but uh, four and a half. Yeah. I mean, no, that, may- that makes sense to me. Yeah. I think four and a half is too much. This feels like a game that comes down to the wire. It's decided by like a field goal or something. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn wins. So I'm going to take Auburn, but. I'll say this, Texas A&M has been such a big comeback story. Early in the season, the first three or four weeks of the season, they were not a good football team. They barely beat a stinky Colorado team. Um, You lose to Mississippi State, who I don't believe is a top 20 team, but that's where they're ranked now in the first college football playoff rankings. Um, And since then, they finally figured it out with the backup quarterback finally getting it going. They've had a bunch of studs. They just haven't put it all together. So I I, I kind of think they're going to win, but I, I think Auburn keeps it close. Number 17, Mississippi State is at Arkansas. The Razorbacks are giving up four and a half. Um, this is a weird one because Sam Pittman was kind of a, a, a golden boy from that class. We even talked about it on the air. Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkwitz, and um, he had the Mike start. Leach and Sam yeah. Pittman were all kind of hired in the same or either the same offseason or within a year of each other and Pittman looked so so good Arkansas maybe lost, A&M too yeah and Arkansas has lost a lot of its luster though um but I don't know I I think the thing about Mike Leach is he's he's good for a couple games a year where you're just like what on earth just happened man <laughs> so I which guess, way are you talking about you're talking about a good bo- way bo- or bad way? Yeah. good and bad but <laughs> yeah. give me um I'll I'll slightly lean to the hogs in this one yeah, I'm totally going uh, Razorbacks here. Uh, not really a huge fan of how Mississippi State has played. Uh, and I think that the Razorbacks are maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's probably a disservice to them that they're uh, not in that top 25. I'm going to go with Arkansas as well, giving up the four and a half. Uh, this feels like Vegas knows something line. You're playing a top 17 team. You're at home. You're giving up four and a half. Uh, they've had a couple kind of stumbling blocks as Adam alluded to since that hot start part of that too is because they played tough competition right you play Georgia you play against Ole Miss on the road I still think they're a solid football team and Mississippi State like you said they're I don't think this is like a, a team that is going to end up nine and three or anything so uh, I'll go with Arkansas as the home team here all right on to the NFL Adam you're 15 and nine Cole you're 21 and 13 I'm 25 and 14 Cleveland at Cincinnati the Bengals are giving up two and a half no Odell Beckham Jr. That actually I think might be good for Cleveland mm-hmm. I think I mean I think that was just a they've actually and, done better with him not playing like when he's been injured yeah and I know it, it, it wasn't this administration that brought in Odell Beckham but I think it's, that was just such a disastrous move. Um, I I like Cincinnati though. I, I'm not sure they're be- they're the best team in the division. Although are they still leading that division? Uh yes. the Ravens had a bye though. No, I don't, I think the Ravens are five and two, and the Bengals are five and three off the top of my head. Well, oh, really? I, I'll take uh, either way. Okay. I don't think I don't think the Bengals are the best team in that division, but I do think they're. Um, legitimate. Um, I'll take I'll take the bank. You said they were they're laying two and a half. Yes. Yeah, I think they win by at least a field goal. Yeah, that's difficult. Um, I think I'm gonna go Browns here. Uh, when that team is more healthy than not, they're really really good. And I truthfully believe that the Bengals have been hitting like a good stride, but it feels like a lucky stride to me and not really indicative 
of their overall team talent. Uh, obviously, Jamar Chase is really fantastic, um, and Cleveland's corners aren't great. Their safeties are all right, but their corners aren't great. So we'll see how the, that uh, that works out. That kind of matchup between Jamar Chase and the Browns secondary works out. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Browns. I'm going to go Cleveland as well. I think there's a big boost for them getting rid of Odell Beckham just in that locker room. Now, I do think Odell Beckham can actually add something to certain teams, but for that specific team, I think it can serve as a boost. Uh, Cincinnati, weird team. Tough to figure out. You lose close to the Packers, who are obviously a really good team. You lose in overtime there. Then you blow out the Ravens, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a legit team. And then you lose to the Jets last week. I don't know what to think of this team. Like, did they just have, like, a hot couple weeks of football, and now this is going to be the start of them kind of crashing back down to earth? I kind of like Cleveland to pull off this victory. I think a lot of people are going to be saying, well, Cincinnati, this will be a good bounce-back spot for him." but I'm going to go with the Browns in an upset here. Denver is at Dallas. The Cowboys are giving up 10 points. Um, is Dak playing? Questionable, but they said, I think I saw something that they like his chances to play. I think Denver, I think their front office knew long before that they punted on the season. And now that they've officially traded Von Miller, I think the players now know that mm -hmm. the Broncos have punted on the season. So um, that's a lot of points in the NFL, but still give me the Cowboys. Uh, so Dak Prescott did fully practice okay. yesterday. So it sounds like he's going to be all right. CD Lamb will not be playing. Mm. Uh, 10 points is a lot, but I think the Broncos feel really, really bad. It feels like they've just totally... Uh, throwing their hands to the wind after a pretty strong start. I know it was against bad teams, but beating bad teams is important. Yeah. Uh, so really unfortunate for the Broncos. Really unfortunate for the people who wanted Von Miller to be like a Broncos lifer. Uh, you know, I, I sure did. I mean, even though I'm a Chiefs fan, I wanted Von Miller to be a Broncos lifer because he's a great, great player. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, so real shame for the Broncos, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Cowboys here. Yeah, I think what you guys have basically said about, you know, the front office basically quitting on this team, like that message comes down to the players. Now, sometimes some teams take that as like, a, oh, well, F you, then I'm going to, you know, respond this way. I don't know that they're in a position to do that. And um, with this offense, I don't necessarily trust Teddy Bridgewater and company to put up. I don't know, because what are you going to need to put up to cover 10 points against a really good Cowboys offense, even without CeeDee Lamb? Yeah, they could score 28. Exactly. And, and are can you going to put up two touchdowns? Maybe. I mean, so I'm going to go Dallas giving up the 10 points. Arizona is at San Francisco. This is an interesting line. The Cardinals are 7-1, and one, but the Niners are giving up the two points. Vegas doesn't know anything. <laughs> Sorry, that's my video on that. Uh, uh, Cardinals all the Vegas? way, man. Yeah, I okay. will. Cardinals all the way. That's a ridiculous line. That's a that's a terrible line. They're saying this so is a, ridiculous. They're saying that, that this is a something. neutral game. This they're saying that this is a neutral game if it was on like neutral site. Mm -hmm. That's that's ridiculous. Um, I'll play the Vegas know something line and take the 49ers. I'm with you. I they know something, man. There's no reason. They know you to me. guys are suckers. There's that's what no, they know. <laughs> no, they know that you're a sucker. That you're gonna be like Arizona seven one. They're only they're getting two points. No, San Fran, man. That might be my lock of the week. Oh, by the way, I forgot to give a lock of the week college football. I'm 7-2. and two. I lost for the first time in, in seven weeks last week. Uh, Army Air Force under 37. Anytime two service academies play, they run the football every time. Just take the under. So, blind bet there. Uh, Green Bay at Kansas City. The Chiefs are giving up 7.5. Um, 
I, I, it's so strange. I, I would feel, I don't know if I'd feel better about the outcome if Aaron Rodgers were playing, but I would feel better about the Chiefs' motivations and the Chiefs' effort if, if Aaron Rodgers were playing. Um, I, I think part of me wonders if a lot of Packers are, are just annoyed with Aaron Rodgers by this point with the anti-vax stuff and they're going to be rally and say, you know what, we'll, we're fine without you. Um, I would say, uh, I'll take. I don't know. I'll take the Packers and the points. I think it's. I think it's a close game. It wouldn't stun me to see the Chiefs win it, but I'll, I'll take the. What is it? Seven even or seven and a half? Seven and a half. Yeah, give me the Packers and the points. It's always remarkable to me to see exactly what Vegas believes a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers is worth. In the example here's eight and a half points. Yeah, because Chiefs were one point underdogs, and now they're seven and a half favorites. Um. Man, it's just so hard for me to like. You know, my all the confidence that I had in the Chiefs last year feels like it's just been drained out of me uh, over the course of this season. But sometimes it just comes back in the back of my mind, where it's like, no, this is Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, of course they're going to beat a no Aaron Rodgers Green Bay by more than se- by more than uh, seven points. And, you know, I don't know if I should listen to that little voice anymore. I feel like I've tried to listen to it, and it's been the couple times I've been wrong in this NFL pick stuff. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs, but I, mm. it's, I'm it's i going to have to stop listening to this little voice in my head eventually. I'm going with Green Bay in this one. This uh, is, It's just too many points for me. I, I get it. Aaron Rodgers has a ton of value, and it's, it's hard for me to overcome the fact that you barely beat the Giants last week who have a worse team than the Packers. Even with Jordan Love starting at the Packers, I would still take Packers or Jordan Love over the Giants. So from that standpoint, um, give me the Packers. I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers pull an upset here, and that would be kind of the ultimate kick in the groin for where the Chiefs are. It's like, oh, they might be finally starting to inch up the mountain, and now you catch a break, don't have to play Aaron Rodgers, and then you just get kicked back down. Um, But I'll I'll take the Chiefs to win, but the Packers to cover in uh, what I think is a close game, especially when you look at a couple years ago, the Chiefs had to start Matt Moore, and they kept that to a one-score game. And it took an amazing Aaron Rodgers pass. And Was it Devontae Adams or Lazard with that catch? I thought it was Lazard, but Either way, it was an amazing pass and an amazing catch that ultimately kind of sealed things for Green Bay. Last up, Tennessee is at the L.A. Rams. The Rams are giving up seven points. This is Um, Sunday Night Football. Yeah, without Derrick Henry, who I think, uh, and I think you you were talking about this earlier with BMAC, right? About how you know the, the running back may not be worth a bunch, but uh, Derrick Henry might be somewhat of an exception to that rule. Uh, what'd you say? The line is it seven? You said seven. Yeah. If Derrick Henry were playing, this is probably like a three point line. I'm yeah, guessing. I. I will say this. Now, again, it was just against the Chiefs, but Tannehill, it was just against the Chiefs, and at the very least, they had the distraction of Derrick Henry on the field. But Tannehill looked fine against the Chiefs. Um, You know what? I've talked myself into Tennessee. Mm, There we go. Before Derrick Henry got injured, I said that I think there was only like one or two teams who had defenses good enough to deal with Tennessee's offense. Uh, with Derrick Henry fully healthy, and one of those teams I said was the Rams. I think that the Rams are perfectly equipped to deal with a guy like Derrick Henry. Now, sadly, I never got to uh, uh, try out my hypothesis because of that foot injury that might end his season. Uh, But I think I'm going to go Rams, man. Matthew Stafford's on fire. I think he's my MVP favorite right now. 
Uh, and I just don't see a lot of people taking down the Rams, let alone a uh, t- Tennessee Titans team that doesn't have their star player. I think this is the week we see the Titans air it out, right? You have Julio Jones, um, you have A.J. Brown, and we've more so seen, like, it's like more so been A.J. Brown, but just one of those guys will kind of go off in a game because you're running the ball so much. They haven't really had to air it out as much. I think both guys get really involved in the passing game this week. Ryan Tannehill has a really good week. Mike Vrabel, I think, is one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think he has him ready to play. I like the Rams to win the game, but I think the Titans are feisty here. I think the Titans are more than just Derrick Henry. And and listen, I think he's their most important player, which obviously is a big loss, but I think they can cover the seven points. So I'm going to take the Titans. All right, that is our game picks with Adam Dravetta, Colsey Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, a wheel of topics. That on the other side. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney joins us now on the show. Brian, KU tipped off their basketball season officially on Tuesday, uh, had their, oh, I'm sorry, I completely bungled up. KU tips off their basketball season officially this upcoming Tuesday, had their exhibition game with Emporia State a few days ago on Wednesday. Uh, talk of the town after the game was was Remy Martin coming off the bench and just, you know, I think he's going to be a fan favorite with some of the fun things you see. But it was also kind of funny seeing the difference between maybe the fan love for him while also Bill Self, you can tell, wanting to get more out of him. So what's what do you think is going to be the key for how Remy Martin and how that experience goes for Bill Self and KU? Well, I think the key is Coach would like him to play a little bit better defensively, Second key is he's learning the Kansas system, and uh, you know there's a lot of different things we do uh, from an offensive standpoint that are way different from what he was, you know, entrenched in in Bobby Hurley's system at Arizona State, where you know run toward the ball if the play's breaking down, just get him the ball and get out of the way. And Kansas has much more structure to what it wants to run and do, and so there's an acclimation process there. And then the third thing is just I think he's had some ho hum practices, and he might be one of those guys that, as, as Curtis Townsend says, you know, when the lights are on and the popcorn's popping, he's a completely different player, and that may be the case. But all those things, uh, the defensive consistency, uh, learning the, the structure of the offense and, and kind of what's expected of him compared to what's been his norm for the last four or five years, and then finally just you know bringing it a little bit stronger each and every day, those are all things that, that are just going to come in time, I would think. The natural ability, the, the stuff that Coach Self talks about, about seeing his energy and his personality shine, um, th- these are inevitable. And, and what you're talking about the, with the talk of the town comments and the fans gravitating toward his infectious smile and some of those celebratory run-down-the-floor gestures he had, Coach actually likes that stuff. He wants personality for this team. He wants a guy... That, that brings that type of charisma on the floor because it can't help but bring the other four guys around him up and get the fans going as well. And, and we haven't had a, a personality like that since Devontae Graham. And I think Devontae personally is, is the best one Bill Self's had in 19 years in terms of that personality flair on the floor. You don't want it to uh, overshadow the game or, or be bigger than you know the moment or the officials or anything like that. But in the context of getting everybody fired up, in the context of, of celebrating in a classy way, 
Uh, but but getting the fans behind you, I, I think Remy's as good as we've had since Devontae, and they may never be one as good as Devontae over all ever again. But uh, he definitely has that, and it was clearly on display Wednesday, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of that on Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I was I was talking earlier in the week, and and I kind of get the sense from this team that you know if they win a lot of games like they're expecting to, when you know you go deep in March. Obviously, that's a prerequisite when people always talk about some of their favorite teams. They were either a really good team in the regular season or they went deep in March or whatever it was. Um, and if that happens, I think this team's going to look be looked upon very fondly in terms of like when you bring up, oh, who was your favorite team to watch? Like Not necessarily the best, but who was your favorite? Because when you go through the roster, you see that energy that you mentioned with Remy Martin and how infectious that can be, and he's going to be a fan favorite this year. And uh, you have so many program guys who, in a world of college basketball where there are you know, so many transfers or one-and-dones, players going to the, the pros, you don't always necessarily get to have guys in the program for two, three, four seasons. And KU has several of them who have been in the starting lineup for the past couple of seasons with guys like Ochai and Dave who are both super nice guys to, to talk to and um, are good basketball players as well on the court. And you just have a really, I think, exciting roster. You have an athletic roster. You look at guys like Joe Yesifu, who's fun to watch at like six foot. I think Bill Self kind of made a jab that, yeah, he's maybe closer to 5'10", um, but he's still dunking the basketball. Like, I think this team is going to be looked upon very fondly if they have the season we're expecting as, you know, kind of a fan favorite years down the road. Yeah, I agree. All really likable guys, really exciting guys. Um, you know, maybe Dewan Harris emerges into that ball hawking um, defensive presence somewhere in the same zip code to where Marcus Garrett was at. You know, Marcus was the best we've had in 19 years uh, under Bill Self, and, and I'm not saying Dewan's going to get quite to where he was at, but he can provide that presence that I know fans love to see and, and feed off of the scrappiness and the hustle and all that. You've got firepower more so on this team from three with uh, the addition of Jalen Coleman-Lance. Once he gets back, Bill Self has said that's their best shooter, and I do think Christian Brown's going to shoot it better. You know, His, his numbers were down 8 to 10% a year ago uh, throughout the season from downtown previous to uh, or compared to his previous season, and I think he'll be better. Ochai has has proven already, uh, you know, in, in what he uh, improved upon the off season, not just being a spot of three point shooter, but being able to score off the bounce, which I think makes him more explosive on the outside too. Because you know, if if they're going to respect your ability to penetrate and get to the rack, they won't press you all the way on the catch. And yet, if they do that. Now he's shown the ability to put it on the deck and blow by you and finish at the rim. And so uh, five threes the other night and some other aggressive attacking type plays were great sights to see, albeit versus a Division II foe. So I, there's a lot to like. There's, there's the flash and the excitement of all these tremendous athletes you talked about. There's the likable personalities. There's the scrappy hustle defensive player like a DeWan Harris. And, uh, and you know, I, I think the one thing that remains to be seen, do we have that? elite level shot blocker obviously you know david had a couple of emphatic swats and so did mitch lightfoot the other night but that's against uh you know an miaa team what's that going to look like versus a michigan state team that has three starters with a wingspan longer than seven feet um you know you're able to still have rim protection there because when i think back to uh some of the more exciting teams in recent years you know you had that 
prolific three-point shooting team in 2018 with some of the personalities on it that you talked about. Uh, but you also had Yudoka on the back line. Uh, he wasn't quite the rim protector that he became two years later, but you still had that. Is Kansas going to have that with, with D-Mac and, and Clements and, and Lightfoot? We'll see. But otherwise, I mean, they kind of check every box, and, and the likability of this team and the excitement of this team is every bit what you described it to be. And, of course, the, the overall thing that gets fans fired up and happy to shift the guys is winning and preseason number three in the country uh, with a chance to, to back that up with, with another 30-win season, what would be Bill Self's 10th at Kansas, uh, I think certainly would have fans loving this team as much as anything. Uh, I think it was last week when we were kind of talking about how the KU backups, like that could be a 500 team in conference play. Certainly it'd be helped if Remy Martin continued to come off the bench for that, that backup unit. But uh, as far and as... Raymond Wilson. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> as far as... Uh, KU's like hopes and aspirations this year. I mean, how much do you think it does rely? Because you do have so much depth there that if one player doesn't, you know, turn out to, I don't know, live up to the expectations, it's not the end of the world with their depth. But also, I just think of how important Remy Martin could be. So if, I guess what's the difference in, in how good KU could be if Remy Martin is just a solid player versus being one that kind of uh, fits into everything Bill Self is hoping for and does end up being a Big 12 player of the year? I think he will fit into everything Bill Self is hoping for. I do. It just is going to take some acclimation, like we said. The things that we talked about early on with him are all things that will come in time. He doesn't need to be, as we've discussed, a 21-point-per-game scorer like he was in league play in the Pac-12 last year. But he could still be the league's best player, averaging 15 a game on a club that goes 15-3 and three in Big 12 conference action. And that may be what he proves to be. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think... Uh, the odds of him becoming just an average guy that, that fits into a bigger sum of the parts are, are far lesser than the odds of him becoming, you know, a star that wins Big 12 Player of the Year. That's that's more likely because he's got some explosiveness and the it factor that's just truly special. But in order to to really take off and ascend and all that, some of the team concept and, and defensive consistency stuff that we referenced. Uh, you know, stuff that's got to fall in line and, and all that. But he's got a good attitude. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, he, he's not wanting to learn these things or not wanting to adjust. Uh, I, I think the attitude's good, and, and we're just kind of figuring him out in the same way that he's figuring out Kansas. And, you know, uh, as Bill Self said, with the transfer portal now and, and this day and age recruiting, in some cases, you know these guys a lot less um, than you did in previous years of recruiting guys for two or three seasons. And so there's an acclimation process on both sides for coaches and players alike. But uh, he's going to smooth that out. And, and at the end of the day, you know, he can flat out do some things that not many guys can at college hoops. And that's what's going to separate him from the pack when it's all said and done. But I love the fact that we've got three players like that that on any given night you know, could be first-team all-league. Christian Brown's not far off. Jalen Wilson's not far off. Jalen Wilson, prior to the news of last weekend, was having about as good of a preseason and offseason as anybody on that Kansas roster. And by the way, you know, the way he stepped up and, and the statement he made and the accountability and responsibility he took for those actions, um, I, I think makes him a more likable guy, too, to go back to your previous question about how likable this team is. So it's certainly a regrettable decision he made, but the way he's handled it ever since makes you respect the young man and make Bill Self's 
uh, punishment for him and, and the, the measures that uh, they decided upon as a program that he would have to meet in the wake of that is indicative of, you know, what a great offseason he's had, the responsibility he took for the action, and, and the fact that, uh, you know, they really believe he's going to learn this lesson, has learned this lesson, and it will be a one-time thing with him. So uh, that, again, you know, goes into what we like about this team and, and, and the young men on it. But I think Kansas uh, is about to treat its fans to a whale of a year, and it all gets going Tuesday night with Michigan State. And it's, it's a tougher schedule than meets the eye. I know the Spartans aren't ranked, and they're right there nipping at the heels in the receiving votes category. But some of those teams in Orlando are going to be tough. The uh, Mizzou game will be exciting just based on the, the history of the rivalry. And, of course, Kentucky comes in here. But we've got a chance to get out to a hot start, back up that ranking, and, and, and show this country and this basketball landscape that uh, they may have picked Gonzaga and UCLA in front of us, but this team is as talented as any in America in 2021. Yeah, and I'm not going to buy the fact that Michigan State won't end up ranked. Like, I'm not picking against Tom Izzo to not end up with a top 25 team. We're talking with the voice yeah. of the Jayhawks. Brian Haney here. So KU takes on K-State tomorrow. That's uh, coming up at 11 o'clock on KLWN, 9.30 pregame. Um, what do you view as being the recipe for how KU keeps it competitive with the Wildcats and maybe is in a position to try to pull off an upset? Well, I mean, it's definitely a matchup where you've got a third-year head coach and Chris Kleiman. Things are a lot more in place for K-State than they are for Kansas. And consequently, they're significant favorites. And, you know, I think Kansas, it starts with wanting it as bad as K-State does. You know, this game is always one that circles for K-State. Hopefully it is for our guys, too. But, um, you know, understanding that if you come out and play your A-level game of complementary football like we saw versus Oklahoma where the offense is able to sustain drives and, and you know, keep the clock moving, keep the ball in your possession, keep Skyler Thompson and Deuce Vaughn on the sideline, and that also keeps your defense fresh once they do have to take the field. If you do that, you can absolutely shorten this game and be in it. We see the version of Jason Bean in the Kansas offense last week that struggled to move the ball, that uh, you know, turned it over twice in the first half and a turnover on downs. That was putting the defense in difficult spots and, more importantly, right back out on the field, three and out every single time. I mean, I can't remember the last time I called the game with zero first downs in the first half and just 10 passing yards for the quarterback. And so you can understand why things snowballed as quickly and as badly as it did for Kansas. So it all begins with a faster start offensively, some kind of momentum there. And then we've been saying this for 30 years, but K-State's so stinking good at special teams. You can be beaten in that phase of the game. You cannot be dominated in that phase of the game. If you do, you don't win. It, it's as simple as that. Look at last year. They had two punt return touchdowns against us from Phillip Brooks. And you know, Malik Knowles has two kick return touchdowns this year. It's a special, special teams unit that, as we talked about, has, has led the nation in non-offensive touchdowns for the last two and a half decades. And so uh, Kansas has to find a way to, if not go even up in special teams, don't let it be the staggering differential advantage for Kansas State. Kick it out of bounds if you have to. Keep it away from their guys. And we struggled with that a year ago in Manhattan, and we paid the price dearly because of it. It was a pretty close game until the floodgates opened in that third phase of the game and the punt returns on special teams. And that's something that Kansas has to be mindful of. So all those things are a factor. And then obviously, 
it goes without saying they've got one of the nation's premier pass rushers from just down the road in Lee's Summit. And uh, this young man, four forced fumbles already, 11 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks. Uh, I mean, AUDK has been phenomenal, like all-American good, uh, especially of late. He just tied a school record with four sacks last week versus TCU. And so um, Jason Bean, who was under duress last week, never looked comfortable, was running, you know, a little bit for his life. He didn't take a ton of hits or sacks, but he, he was having to throw everything about a second quicker than he wanted to. And so a lot of throws were off the mark and at the feet of his receivers. We got to find a way to protect against that young man breathing down his neck from the edge because he could make it a nightmarish afternoon for Kansas if he does to the Jayhawks what we saw him do to TCU last week. So those are the big keys, and I do think Kansas can compete and can make this a much closer game than everybody's thinking. But it all starts with a fast start offensively, getting some momentum from the quarterback position, and then if we have to punt, uh, let's make sure we don't let them do to us what they've done seemingly every other year with these special teams touchdowns downs and field flipping plays that just puts you right back behind the eight ball because K-State's so good in that phase of the game. He's Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the call tomorrow, 11 o'clock kickoff KUK State pregame with the KU Network show starting at 9.30 here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS. Brian, thank you so much for the time as always. Hey, thank you, buddy. And uh, just like the Hawks need a game plan for their next game, you need a plan for retirement as well. So to get started, call my buddy Nate Miller at Miller Retirement Group today. They're sponsoring these reports throughout the season. Really appreciate Nate. He's heavily invested here in the Lawrence community, and he'd love to help you invest for your retirement as well. So check them out today. Thanks so much, Derek. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.